On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time Imon Irokti Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligam, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Today on the Indo Daily, staring down the barrel of more energy price rises and rationing. We are, in my view, in the first global energy crisis. And it looks like that this uh, crisis may be with us for some time to come. Shortages of energy and possible doubling of fuel bills is on the cards for later in the year. As the IEA says, and the EU, there is a non-negligible chance that Europe, the whole of Europe, could be experiencing things like power cuts next winter. Now we're being asked to ditch the car, dial down the heat and take the train to save energy. If these measures are implemented in full, they would save in a year about two and a half days of global oil production. So it's worth doing. It would help the impending potential crisis that we've got next winter. But with shortages to come, can you actually play your part to cut the power and reduce the cash fueling Putin's war in Ukraine? I'm Fionn Sheen, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Caroline O'Doherty, environment correspondent with the Irish Independent, and Chris Johns, economist and blogger at the Other Hand podcast. Caroline, why are we in this predicament around energy supplies? The problem goes back to last year. It predates Ukraine. Uh, we had a, a glorious mix of, of complicated issues that came together. Uh, after COVID, uh, industry, ener- industry, transport, society, everything cranked up very quickly. And um, there was a lag in fuel supply to meet that sort of sudden back to normality. It was a very cold winter last year, uh, the early part of last year. So demand was up. China needed more fuel. From uh, because they had a row with Australia and weren't importing their coal. Uh, South America needed more fuel because they rely heavily on hydroelectricity and they've had drought. So there's a lot of extra demand for fuel and the supply is a little bit lagged. So prices are up. And then we have also these ongoing tensions between Russia and Germany over the Nord Stream pipeline um, delay in getting that up and running. And that was a complicated issue to do with ownership of the pipeline as compared to ownership of the, the, the gas going through it. So Russia was stalling and holding back on some, some supplies there. 
and then came Ukraine. And obviously, we pay uh, in Europe an awful lot to Russia uh, for gas and oil. And that's not really acceptable uh, because that's fueling the war. So there's a need to roll back on the amount of fuel that we're getting from Russia. All those things combined have created the situation of uh, supply issues and price issues. So, Chris, it's it's not just the war in Russia is the problem here. No, not at all. It's it's old fashioned economics. It's demand exceeding supply in certain key geographies around the world and in certain key commodities. Gas has been a particular problem uh, predating the war in Ukraine for quite some time, um, partly um, because, as we just heard, Putin has been playing games with gas supply for quite some time now, going back at least a year. And uh, a combination of weather events, there was a particularly cold winter a couple of winters ago that caused gas stores to be depleted. And then during the summer, places like Germany didn't um, top up their gas tanks by as much as they could and should have done, partly because Putin was playing his games. So demand has exceeded supply, and that's been pushing gas prices up for quite some time. So in the UK, for example, the peculiar way in which they um, do these things, uh, they're only allowed to change their prices of, of gas and electricity to consumers uh, twice a year at the moment. And the price rises that have just been implemented in the UK vary from 50 to 100%. So pe- some people's bills have doubled um, last in over the course of the last few weeks. But m- that's mostly because of what happened before Ukraine. If current prices of things like gas and oil prevail for the next six months, UK households and therefore other households around Europe, not least in Ireland, are going to probably nearly double again in the autumn. And that is for personal finances, for the household consumer, catastrophic. And Caroline, how vulnerable are we, given that it's so often said we are at the end of pipelines? Well, funnily enough, we're not at the end of the Russian pipeline. Uh, we have alternative sources, North Sea and the UK and so on. But obviously, there are there are interconnections and oil companies, gas companies work on a global basis, work on a wide basis. They're not going to give us uh, cheaper prices simply because we're, 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 we're on the end of a different pipeline. So we're as vulnerable as anyone, really. We've been told we're not quite as vulnerable as those who literally get are at the end of a tap from Russia. But it's hard to see that we, we, we would benefit to any great extent or would survive any longer if there was to be a catastrophic cutoff in supplies around Europe. And Chris, are we in Ireland tied into the wider European and global problem here? Or are there any solutions that we ourselves can come up with? Well, to the extent that Ireland has its own gas supplies, and of course we do to an extent, that helps because that supply presumably can will, um, in a difficult world, not be redirected to, to somewhere else. But the, to the extent that Ireland imports from, say, the North Sea via UK pipelines, um, if Russia cuts off its gas supply to continental Europe, to Germany in particular, that gas that's produced in the North Sea, first of all, will go up in price a lot. That's the first thing that will happen, even though prices are high at the moment. The prices that we pay in Ireland are set on world markets and whether or not we produce our own gas doesn't really matter when it comes to the price. Um, the, the, the other thing, of course, is that when and if the, the Russian supplies of gas to Europe are cut off, 
lots of people are going to be turning to the North Sea, to UK and Norway that have access to the North, have owned the North Sea gas and say, we want some of that now, please stop selling it to countries um, like Ireland, perhaps will be a message. I, I don't know how these contracts are will be negotiated, but the competition for that gas in the North Sea will increase enormously. So I wouldn't be comforted from the fact that our current source of supply is from the North Sea. I think it will help that we probably have contracted sources of supply, but those contracts will be finite. But at the very least, the price will go up if that Russian source of gas to Europe, for one reason or another, is cut off. And we're all looking at what can we do ourselves? What can we do professionally? And what can we do personally? And the one thing that everyone can do, that each of us can do individually at home and at work, is to uh, save energy. Um, it helps us save on the energy bill. It helps our climate. And of course, it helps Ukraine via all of that. Caroline, a new energy conservation campaign is, is being released to the public. What is it? It's a plea to the public to play their part. And that's the name of it. It's come as a joint initiative between the European Commission and the International Energy Agency. And they're literally calling it Playing My Part. And it's a nine point plan, quite general, uh, but with nine general points. They say if people could apply them to their own lives and their way of working and their way of getting around, it could make a real difference to the amount of energy that we collectively use. So the nine points, they won't all apply to everybody. Uh, number one is turning down your heating by one degree or turning down your air conditioning by one degree. Air conditioning, not such a big deal in Ireland, but, you know, Central Europe now come the summer. Obviously, air conditioners will be on full blast. Um adjust your boilers heating a setting I should say um, and that has knock on effects for the amount of water that you have you know showers if you're if you're not using a, a power shower electric shower all of that kind of thing working from home and you know we've seen a pullback from that in recent times um, the traffic alone will tell you that people are not working from home as much as they were um, and the old fashioned things that we've been hearing you know could you please use bus transport uh, public transport bike um uh, reduce your speed on highways, uh, highways being all main roads. That's an interesting one because we've heard it now from numerous different sources, the IEA, our own energy experts, uh, AA motoring experts. If you reduce speed on motorways and main routes, national routes, by even sort of 10 kilometres per hour, you, you, you actually save, you save fuel. Um, it's more energy efficient to drive at a lower speed. Um so that's a point they're asking for at the minute. There's been some discussion at the EU level, certainly among EU senior politicians. You know, could we jointly come up with some sort of regulation on that? It would be hard to do. So at the moment, it's just an appeal out there. Um, you know, even in Ireland, it would be quite difficult because to change the speed limit on any roadway requires a change in law or a temporary bylaw or a temporary measure, for example, in roadworks. But it all requires paperwork. Um, there's another issue they're asking for, leave your car at home in, on, on Sunday. So car free cities. Again, they're asking the public to do it voluntarily, but they've also put out a message to city authorities declare car-free Sundays. We've had some trials with that here and there, particularly in Dublin during COVID. Um, and they went down very well to some parts of the population and they were uh, criticised by some businesses. So, uh, but again, they're asking for that. Just cut a day out of, of you know, of, of car travel. All of that uh, brings down oil demand. So those are the kind of things they're looking at. One that, you know, will annoy people here is they skip the plane, take the train. We can't. We're an island. But, you know, again, it puts it plants maybe a seed 
in people's minds, you know, maybe I don't need to take the, maybe I don't need to fly abroad this summer. Maybe I could take a ferry. Maybe I can, you know, take the ferry to Britain and take the train, the, the Eurostar to, to to mainland Europe. There, there are nine nine messages, and I suppose they hope that it'll kickstart a conversation or at least an awareness in the wider public. So, Caroline, what what can I actually save though if I follow all these top tips? Three things: uh, money. Now. Uh, small amounts of money and particularly they they're, they're, they disappear really when you consider how much bills have gone up anyway so you're not saving from your previous status you're saving on an increased bill um, you know uh, save the planet you know, we've, we've tend to have downplayed this in recent times but the whole reason we started to try and get off fossil fuels was not necessarily about price um, it was because of um, their fossil fuels our carbon emissions are going sky high and the climate is suffering so we've kind of almost downplayed that a little bit but that's number two Number three, I mean, save your credibility um, because we are paying Russia and other other countries where leaderships are, you know, highly questionable and human rights conditions are uh, highly undesirable. Uh, we're paying them for our fuel and our energy. And we've done that all along. Uh, when we were reliant on coal here for Money Point, we were getting it from a huge, uh, a huge uh, mine in Colombia where there's enormous environmental devastation and human rights abuses. Uh, so we've done that all along. We just haven't been very aware of where our energy has come from. So there's the same reasons. Save Ukraine, die, save your credibility, save the planet, save money. That's the one they're pushing at the minute because that's what's really getting to people at the minute. That's the political issue at the moment. People are upset and, and outraged and suffering because of the price rises. So in the European Union, we have adopted a Repower EU strategy and, and we'll set it out with a plan where we look at how do we reduce dependence on Russian fossil exports. And, and to give you one example, we import about 150 billion cubic meter of gas from Russia per year. We need to reduce that. Chris, do these generic appeals to people's moral consciousness cut down on our dependence on Russia? Do they work? Well. The scale of the problem, I think, is illustrated by the amount of oil and gas that the IEA and the EU think these measures could potentially save. It sounds like a lot. And they talk about 220 million barrels of oil um, and various other measures. But I if these measures are implemented in full, according to their own estimates, they would save in a year about two and a half days of global oil production. So it's worth doing. It's, it would have an effect and it would help the impending potential crisis that we've got next winter, which I think is worth talking about. But just to point out that, you know, it's a drop in the ocean. It's two and a half days of annual global energy consumption is what they're proposing to save. It's all carrot and no stick. They're trying to encourage us to do this. They're appealing to our moral sentiments to our pockets and to our concerns about the environment, which is, I think is all very well. And I think most of us will make an effort. An awful lot of people I know personally are making an effort when they, when I, I think you could make, you could have done a better PR job on this. You could have said, you know, turn that TV off at night, turn that boiler down, drive slower. And every time you do this, you are sending less money to Vladimir Putin. I think there could have been a very direct messaging here. But there, could, there should also, as I think we've just heard, be some more consideration. I think there will be, actually. There'll have to be for regulation, for rules, to that the stick as well as the carrot. I'm old enough to remember when during the energy crisis of the 70s, 
we had in the United States, for example, laws that reduced highway speed limits to 55 miles an hour from 70. And that achieved two things. It did reduce oil consumption. But the thing that they didn't expect was that it reduced an awful lot of accidents. So people's lives were saved directly as well as indirectly. Um, so I think reducing speed limits is potentially a very powerful thing to do. And I, th I, would, I would encourage them to do it. But it's a massive task because it's it, the short, the, the long term environmental thing is absolutely important. And, I, you know, if you're going to do long term things, you, a, a tenth thing I would add to this list is, you know, shut up and stop being nimbies about things like solar farms and um, wind farms. Uh, we've got to build lots of these things for the sake of the environment. But in the short term, that wouldn't solve our short term problem, which is next winter and the prospect of power cuts if we don't do something like this. We could get unlucky. There's a lot of variables to do with weather, um, whether or not Putin continues to play games with supply, um, how much we can do things like this. But, you know, it, it's, as the IEA says and the EU, there is a non-negligible chance that Europe, the whole of Europe, could be experiencing things like power cuts next winter. In my view, we have two important dates. One, in terms of oil this summer, when the driving season in the world starts, and in terms of natural gas, this winter, when the heating season starts. Many countries are looking at the additional supplies, production coming here and there. But in my view, we may be left with the choice of either government's utilities will have to ration themselves, cut the energy to the consumers, or we do it ourselves and using pushing the energy efficiency button. Carolyn, is this plan pragmatic enough to make uh, an impact on people? You have a difficulty in that you're sending out a public information campaign, which is addressing the general public. And if you have a very general message, um, you could say it's not it's not detailed enough. It's not pointed enough. It doesn't give enough guidance. If you have a very detailed message, you immediately get kicked back because there are sectors in the public who can't do any more on that particular point. If you have a point that says, um, turn your TV off or turn your, your computers off, you'll immediately have people saying, well, I'm working from home and I'm studying from home or I'm an insomniac or it's the only pleasure I get is watching my TV. If you tell people to turn their heating down and they have done this one in the in the EU Play My Part campaign, turn it down by one degree, you immediately get kickback from people who say, I've been freezing all winter, I can't afford my bills, I do turn it down. If you tell people, don't use your car, use public transport, you get enormous kickback from people who say, well, there is no public transport in my area or not to where I need to go. So when you're very precise, you get huge kickback. When you're very general, you get um, disinterest. Uh, it's a really difficult thing in trying to find a way to deliver the message. Chris, you've mentioned the stick and certainly people will get the message if there are energy shortages what are you thinking there? Well, it all depends, unfortunately, is the correct answer. As I say, there are lots of variables to do with calculating demand for energy and its potential supply. Estimating both of those is tricky at the best of times, and these most certainly are not the best of times. Um, we are trying, people like me anyway, and lots of others are jumping up and down saying it's absolutely ridiculous from an ethical, moral standpoint, not an economic one, but certainly from a moral standpoint, that we are sending a billion 
dollars a day to Putin um, for his energy. And that's funding the war effort. It makes no sense to me, simple man that I am. And uh, Germany is strongly resisting this. Um, in particular, there are other countries too. Hungary is, 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 is another one. Um, Germany is resisting the uh, cutting off of Russian energy imports because its economy is so dependent on them. Um, you know, the BMWs and Mercedes that we drive are essentially Russian energy converted into German cars. That's just how the German economy works. And it's a result of decades long policy to in post World War Two, it was decided to engage with Russia because um, in, in a way that stopped, hopefully, Russia doing what it's just done in Ukraine. And the idea was that by engaging with them economically, particularly by buying all their energy exports, um, that they would become so tied into the European economy that going to war with Europe again um, would become a, a nonsense. Um, and that policy clearly didn't work. And so Germany is having to rethink and is now saying that we'll cut off Russian oil and gas over a number of years. And everybody, a lot of other people are saying you should do it now and take the economic consequences. If Germany cuts off the supply of Russian oil and gas, then I think that there's an awful lot of people going to get power cuts in Europe next winter. Um, the other possibility, of course, on the supply side is that Putin decides to do this himself as a weapon um, to weaponize his, his gas uh, exports and whether or not Germany decides to do it, Putin may decide to do it for him, and that would have the same consequence um, around Europe. There would be power cuts next winter. A lot's going to depend on how we manage to source alternative supplies from places like Qatar and the United States, and that's not something that can be turned on overnight, but it is being done as we speak. So how fast that progresses is very important. The weather over the summer, and particularly the weather in the winter, will make a huge difference. The extent to which we can rebuild stocks of gas and oil through the next few months are going to make a huge difference. But at the moment, I'd say it's a fine call. It's 50-50 as to whether we are going to get shortages and actual power cuts. And these shortages could crop up in unusual ways. It may not be that we get an overall shortage of petrol, for example, but something like diesel. A lot of energy experts are worried about diesel supplies next winter. Um, and whether or not that particular commodity itself could be the one that ends up getting rationed. If you drive a modern diesel car, you have something called AdBlue, which you need to put into it to keep the engine working. And a lot of the stuff that goes into AdBlue is sourced from Ukraine. So th these things can happen in all sorts of difficult to anticipate ways. But I, I think that there could be trouble ahead, Phil. Yeah, so the, the prospect of power rationing this winter you think high? Yeah. At the moment, I'd, I'd say it's odds against, given Germany's stance, that they're going to continue to import Russian oil and gas in the way that they say that they're going to. But I mean, when I say odds against, it's six to four um, odds against there being power cuts. But if, if, if Germany stops getting Russian oil and gas for one reason or another, then it becomes odds on. Okay. Uh, Dark, dark portents there in the background. Caroline, at the same time, is there an opportunity here if you are uh, of a green environmental mindset? This energy crisis has put uh, energy conservation and finding alternative uses of energy very much to the forefront of the, the public opinion. It is the economy, stupid. It is people's back pocket. They are now feeling it. You would think 
um, that it would sort of create this wider awareness or and at least bring people to the conclusions that the Green Movement have been pushing. You know, we need renewable energy. You know, we need to change our ways. You know, we need to change our whole system, our whole energy system. Um, I'm not sure that that has sort of kicked in with people yet because there's been such a focus on the prices and the bills and and consumer inconvenience and people just feeling hard done by and people feel hard done by because it came out of very hard two years of COVID and now there's this to deal with and that causes stress and strain. There is an opportunity um, but people don't want to hear, you know, about um, they just don't want to hear about climate at the moment. So if you're talking about a purely environmental issue of, of carbon redu- emissions reduction, the general public I just, just don't have the appetite for it. It's quite shocking, really, um, and dismaying to those who have been working on it for years, but they don't. But you have to keep it in there. As I say, if you can if you can put this as a multi-pronged approach and a multi-pronged solution, if we change what we do, you there are benefits in different ways. It's cleaner. You know, we, we, we reduce our reliance on the likes of Putin, you know, and we start to get those bills under under control. They're not going to come down uh, anytime soon, but just keep keep them under control and put a little power back into people's hands. I think there's a there's a question about energy literacy, you know, generally in the public. And that's OK, because we, we've been very, I suppose, we, we've, we've advanced our economies, we've advanced our societies enough so that people can just flick a switch and energy comes on. And why should you need to know more about it than that? Well, the current crisis shows why people do, but it even comes down to basically within the house, the people will say, well, I'm not using excessive energy. I don't have a home cinema. I don't have a jacuzzi. If you saw the amount of things that are still running when you close the door and walk out of your house during the day, yes, your fridge. Everyone say, yeah, the fridge is running. Nothing else. You the TV on standby because maybe or maybe you're not recording something you can't remember so you leave it on standby. You have all your chargers, you have your Fitbit on on charge, you have you know even your oven is on because the little dial has to stay on to tell you what time it is or or the timer will start beeping at you if you switch it off and switch it on again and say please reset me and that's an annoyance. Your microwave is the same it's an annoyance so you keep it turned on we keep all these tiny things turned on and all the time when we're nowhere near the house and, and you know the alarm as well maybe all the time, our houses are using energy, energy, energy. And it's the same way as that if you had a, a large bag of maybe rice in the, in the cupboard and there was a small hole in the corner of it and it was losing a few grains of rice every hour, eventually you'd get up and fix it. You'd put it in a new bag, you'd seal off it. We don't see energy seeping out in that kind of way. But we need to. There are smart meters in a lot of houses and people still don't know how to use them. There are many houses that don't have smart meters. If people could see, actually see the figures and see what their houses are doing when they're not even in them, people maybe would begin to say, actually, do you know something? I can maybe do something about this. And haven't I been a bit mad not to have done it all along? Chris, from a, a fiscal perspective, do you see governments continuing to, to try and chase household energy bills and, and providing subsidies to, to people and additional supports for people on low income to fend off fuel poverty? Or is, is that a, a, a fool's game because ultimately you, you just can't keep up with the increases? I think in the long term, it is a fool's game. Um, governments will certainly be hoping for a number of things. One is that in the short term, they can continue to help the most vulnerable because in the very short term, that is the right thing to do to help people um, who simply can't afford to heat and cook for themselves at these sorts of prices. And the second hope will be that these sorts of prices will come down for one reason or another. Um, I suspect that both are going to be a forlorn hope because the, the ability of governments to support the poorer household is very limited by the fact that 
the debt overhang from the previous two crises is now so enormous that our abilities to borrow um, are now very limited. And one of the things that's going on in the background in financial markets is the government borrowing costs are now going up. The era of low interest rates is coming to an end. So cheap borrowing, um, even if they want to, isn't going to be available to them. And I think that the capacity to borrow to to help poorer people is very limited. So they, the, a very, very unpalatable political choice facing governments is going to be they either stop helping poorer people with their bills or they have to tax somebody um, to, to enable that cash to be forthcoming to be given to the poor household. So it's, it's, it's either do nothing or um, put somebody's taxes up. And that's the choice that I think governments everywhere are going to face if these energy prices, as I suspect, stay high. And that was Chris Johns and Caroline O'Doherty. Today's episode was produced and researched by Gareth Mulhall with sound by Gavin Hennessy. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review.